be with you here this morning. It's been a while since we've been here for a Sunday morning, and I had to remember to make the right turns uh, to get here. It's good to be with you. Have you ever heard the saying, don't miss the forest for the trees? Or maybe the phrase, taking a bird's eye view. It gives the idea of stepping back and looking at something further away. Otherwise, you'll get lost in all the, the small details. Take a step back. There's a picture, and looks pretty random. A bunch of smaller pictures of uh, some dogs and cats. Not a whole lot going on there. We zoom out just a little bit. They get smaller. You can still see the pictures a little bit. We start to see something taking shape in the background. There's some contours. Zoom out a little further. Now it's hard to see the individual pictures, but there's a, a greater shape starting to appear. Finally, we zoom out, and uh, we can see it actually is a picture of something else made up of smaller pictures. And I found out that you can actually make some of your own online if you want. I just found this as an illustration to show we can make up a greater picture with smaller pictures. And this morning, if I ask you what story does the Bible tell? What overall picture does it give? What would you say? The Bible's made up of a lot of smaller stories. Some of them can can be a little hard to, to read, hard to understand. There's different styles of writing, different genres. Some are, are easy to read and they feel good, like David and Goliath, and we can pick out a moral. But others, there's a lot of stories that aren't quite like that. And what do we do with those? How do we fit that into our understanding of the Bible? Is it just a nice collection of stories for Sunday school? So what is the story of the Bible? And that's what I'd like to think about this morning. What do all these interesting and sometimes weird stories have to do with the greater scheme of the Bible. I'd like to point to this picture here and, and uh, liken it to that photo mosaic. Each photo is like a story, and they all connect together, and they have a theme. And that theme that we see woven throughout the whole Bible is the theme of God's redemption that is embodied in Jesus So turn with me to John chapter 5. I'd like to read one verse from John 5. Words of Jesus as he was talking to people about who he was. And uh, I just want to read one verse. As an introduction here, uh, Jesus says in verse 39, John 5, 39, he says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are which testify of me. And it's interesting to look at different times when Jesus was asked a question. And he would respond by saying, have you read the scriptures? He's basically saying, do you read your Bible? 
he had a different way of interpreting the Bible than, than people in his day. And another scene that comes to mind is the road to Emmaus, where two disciples were walking, discussing the death of Jesus. Jesus comes in and joins their conversation, and it says, He expounded unto them in all the scriptures things concerning himself. I just had to think what that would have been like to hear Jesus expound the Bible about himself. But as he read through scripture, he saw it as pointing to himself as the Messiah, as the Savior. And if we're not able to see that as we read through the Bible, we're not looking at it quite right. And maybe we're asking the wrong questions as we approach the stories in the Bible. Maybe we need to step back and look at the bigger picture. So it's not that everything just falls into place. Uh, If we step back, Sometimes it takes a lot of work to understand, even with this in mind, things that we need to meditate and ponder. How does this fit in? I think having this picture of a a mosaic pointing to Jesus can help us. So I'm going to do a survey of the storyline of the Bible and look at the main story that it tells. I want to cover the whole Bible this morning. and That's a a big task, and I'm going to have to overlook a lot. I just want to think through the the main storyline of the the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, with this idea in mind that the Bible is a story that points to Jesus. It's a messianic story, you could say, that points to a future hope of a deliverer. So if we look at this mosaic of stories, we can see different themes brought out. The theme of human failure by doing what is right in our own eyes, we see God's redemption, God's deliverance, and the ever-present hope of a future deliverer. I'm going to start in the beginning, Genesis, Adam and Eve. We see the creation story. It's a story of beginnings and foundations. God created the world in six days, and on the sixth day, he created Adam and Eve. The, the pinnacle of his creation, and he created them in his own image. And God put them in the Garden of Eden, and he had them take care of this garden, and they were in paradise. They had connection with God, relationship with God, but there was one rule that God gave them. Don't eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And it doesn't say exactly why they were given that rule, but that was what they were told. And right away we see a temptation. A snake comes and deceives Eve through lies. And he enticed her to eat the forbidden fruit against God's command. It says she saw that it was good and she desired it. And she took it. And we see Adam and Eve both following their desires against God's will. And this begins an ongoing cycle of human failure or sin falling short of God's command. And we see this pattern show up time after time as we read through the Old Testament that we as humans are not good judges of what is good. And what God labels as good does not always seem good to us. So there were consequences for their sin They were banished 
from this paradise, the Garden of Eden, and pain and toil and hardship were now part of their lives. But there was also a glimmer of hope. We see that the snake was punished as well. And for his punishment, uh, it says there would be enmity between his seed and the seed of the woman. And there was a promise of a future time when the seed of the woman would crush the head of the snake and he would have his heel bruised in return. And we see this is the first messianic promise given of a future deliverer that would come. And the stage is now set for many other stories, stories of failure with glimpses of hope. Story moves on to Cain and Abel, and we see another failure story. Cain is moved with jealousy to uh, kill his own brother. And uh, it's a story of, of uh, failure that we see in, in Cain and Abel. And soon after, we read about Noah. The time of Noah is said to have been full of wickedness. It says every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts was evil. And it even says that God was sorry that he had made mankind. And God brought judgment through a worldwide flood to wash the earth. And he warned Noah. It says Noah was a righteous person. And he told Noah to build an ark to have an escape from this coming judgment. And through his obedience in building the ark, he provided a means of deliverance from the flood of God's judgment. And then Genesis 12 introduces us to Abraham. We read about the story of Abraham. And God spoke to Abraham, told him to leave his family and his home, go to another country. And he left in faith, following God's leading. He didn't know where. And it's with Abraham that God made a covenant. And he promised to multiply his descendants and give him the land that, that he had moved to. It's a promise to make Abraham's family a blessing that would reach all families of the world. There's a promise to Abraham that a worldwide blessing would come through Abraham's family. And the problem was that Abraham and his wife were old. They didn't have children. But it says Abraham believed God over his circumstances. He took God at his word, and God miraculously gave them a child in their old age, and Isaac was born as a child of promise. Sometime after, God told Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. And Abraham obeyed. He took the three-day journey where God directed. He was about to carry out this command to sacrifice his son. When at the last minute, God provided a ram in place of Isaac. In the story of Isaac, we can see the picture of the innocent promised son offering his life. Isaac went on to have twins, Jacob and Esau. And before they were born, God said that the older would serve the younger. And the younger was Jacob. We see that it was through Jacob's cunning and his deceit that he tricked his brother out of the birthright and also the blessing of his father and made that, that promise come true. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. This is where the nation of Israel comes. 
and uh, he went on to have 12 sons, and they became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those sons was Joseph. And Joseph was the, the favored or beloved son of his father. And this favoritism made his older brothers jealous, and they hated him for it. And this hatred was so much that when an opportunity came, they sold their brother into slavery to Egypt. But God was with Joseph through this uh, suffering, and he prospered as a slave in Egypt, and also through false accusations and imprisonment. And it was through God's gift to him of interpreting dreams that he became the second highest ruler in Egypt. And Joseph warned of a coming famine, and he was able to prepare Egypt for the famine that affected the whole world. And it was through his preparation he was able to provide for his family and provide for his own brothers who sold him into slavery, who are now suffering from the famine. So in Joseph, we see a picture of someone following a path of suffering, false accusations, and eventually exaltation. And he ended up providing life-giving sustenance for all who would come, and even for his brothers who betrayed him. The Joseph's family ended up moving to Egypt, and several generations afterward, their safe haven of Egypt became enslavement when a new ruler came to power who didn't remember what Joseph did. And the Israelites had grown in number. God had prospered them. They were fruitful. And this new ruler was fearful that they would take over. So he made uh, an edict that all the Israelite baby boys should be thrown into the river. And it was in this time that a baby was born whose parents defied that rule. They kept their baby alive. And this baby's name was Moses. And they soon realized that they had to do something. So they put their baby Moses in a little basket or an ark. And they put this ark into the river, which was the death of so many other baby boys. And this river carried him to the princess, and he was taken in by the princess, and he was raised as royalty, as a prince. And we see that when he came of age, he ultimately chose to lay aside that uh, royalty and identify with his people, the slaves. And we see him attempt to right some wrongs uh, to an Israelite, and he killed an Egyptian, ended up having to run. He ran into the wilderness uh, for 40 years. And God eventually called Moses back to, to Egypt through an experience at a burning bush in order to lead the Israelites out of their bondage in Egypt. And Moses now gets to participate in God's method of deliverance. And we read about the, the 10 miraculous signs that... God performs, we know them as the ten plagues, after which the Israelites are freed from their bondage. They are delivered. And later on in their journeys, God spoke to Moses on a mountain and gave him a set of laws that they were to abide by. And we know this as the Mosaic Law. And a lot of these were how to deal with sin or wrongdoing. 
what needs to be done. And the way that they were told to deal with sin was to take an innocent animal, and it was usually a lamb without any blemish, an innocent lamb, and they were to kill that lamb on behalf of the one who had done wrong. This introduced the sacrificial system of atonement that the Israelites lived by for, for many generations, blood atonement, and it was the innocent dying on behalf of the guilty. And while Moses was on the mountain with God receiving this law, we read how the Israelites fell into idolatry, and Aaron, as their leader, made a golden calf, and they turned away from serving God, and this incited God's anger. We see that God wanted to wipe them out, he wanted to start over. He said, Moses, I'll start with you. And we see Moses interceding for the people. And at one point, we even see him offering his life on behalf of the guilty Israelites. And in Moses as well, we see a glimpse of this future Messiah, a deliverer and a savior who chooses to identify with his people and rescues them from bondage and enslavement and who intercedes for us and offers his life for the guilty. But Moses was not the promised Messiah, and we're told of, of different of his failures, and it ended up that he wasn't actually allowed to enter the promised land. We read about uh, in Deuteronomy how Moses foretells of a future prophet coming who would be like him at some future time. And if you look at the last verses of Deuteronomy, written by someone else at a later point in time, it says that there hasn't ever yet been a prophet like Moses. And it shows that there was anticipation. There was longing for that coming prophet. They were waiting. And the story moves on with Joshua as leader in Moses' place. And Joshua was a conqueror. And we read through the book of Joshua. It's about conquest, going through the land, conquering this land that God had promised to Abraham. And anyway, they had settled into the land. We see a pattern of them falling away, turning from God, serving idols. And they faced consequences from that. They fell into bondage to other nations. They were enslaved. And eventually they would turn to God for help. And when they called on God for help, God would... Uh, send a deliverer, a judge would arise and lead them out of bondage. And again, we see this pattern through the book of Judges of God's people falling short, turning away, doing what is right in their own eyes, as we see through the book of Judges, that phrase, and their failure is on display. But we also see God's deliverance. And eventually, the Israelites asked for a king, and this is told as turning away from God as their leader. But God granted them their wish, and a man named Saul is chosen. Chosen, <clears throat> And we see the description of Saul. He is portrayed as a very handsome person. There is not one more handsome than Saul in Israel. And it seems like he's a good fit early on. He's very humble and obedient to God. But soon we read about envy 
and pride that brought him to a place where God rejected him as leader, as king. And in the meantime, there is a young shepherd boy named David who was also anointed by Samuel. And in that anointing, Samuel almost anointed David's oldest brother. And he looked at his oldest brother and said, surely this is the one. He looked good, but God says, no, don't look on the outside. I'm looking at the heart. This shepherd boy, David, is the one who killed Goliath. Familiar story. And he delivered the Israelites from the Philistines and from from the bondage that uh, was imminent. And David ended up being the chief rival of Saul because of this anointing that he received and the popularity that he gained. And he spent a long time on the run from Saul. He was pursued by Saul. And we see him refuse on different occasions the opportunity to kill Saul and take a shortcut to become king. But eventually he did become king after Saul died in battle. And uh, David is a well-known character to many of us. Familiar story of, of David and Goliath. He wrote many psalms that we can be encouraged from. It's also the description of David being a man after God's own heart. David was one who was very careful to seek God in all his decisions. And it was under his reign as king that Israel reached its greatest extent. And because of his faithfulness, God promised that one of his descendants would always remain on the throne. And this was a promise of an everlasting kingdom given to the line of David. But even in this pinnacle of achievement, when Israel was at its best, under a king who loved God, we read about a failure of David. First adultery, and then murder. Desiring, and then taking. And there were consequences to these failures that his family felt for many generations afterward. The next king of Israel was Solomon, David's son. And in his early days as king, God came to Solomon in a dream and asked him what he would want if he could have anything. And this was a spectacular opportunity for Solomon. And we see that he asked for wisdom. He said, give me an understanding heart that I may discern between good and evil. It wasn't wealth or long life that he asked for, but wisdom. And God was pleased with his choice that he actually gave him the wealth and long life as well. And Solomon became known far and wide for his wisdom. And in his lifetime, he wrote many Proverbs, the book of Proverbs that we have, written mostly by Solomon. Other wisdom books, Ecclesiastes and and Song of Solomon. And maybe people of his time thought that Solomon might finally be the one who was promised so long ago as this deliverer. He was the son of David, and he's full of God's wisdom. But later on in his life, we read about poor decisions that Solomon made. He disobeyed God's commands for kings, and he ended up living by his own wisdom rather than the wisdom that God had given him. And after Solomon... The kingdom was fractured and divided. It was a northern 
kingdom, southern kingdom, and each region had its own king. In most times, these kings failed to honor God and the covenant that was made with their ancestors. And you read through the book of First and Second Kings, and there's so many stories of failure, and it's disheartening to read. But we also see God's providence through that as well, through prophets like Elijah and Elisha. But gradually, as nations, they fell further and further from where God wanted them to be. And it was in these times of apostasy that God sent prophets to warn and to guide. They were calling people back to God's covenant, letting people know when the terms of the covenant were not being kept. And we read through our book of prophets, and we can see what that was like for them. But in this, they also looked forward to a time when a future prophet would come and what that would look like. We read about prophecies Pointing ahead, Isaiah talks about a rod from the root of Jesse. And Isaiah 53 talks about a suffering servant who will bear the transgression of his people. Jeremiah and Zechariah call him the righteous branch. There's many other pictures of a future Messiah that are given in the prophets and what that's going to look like. They were speaking to the present situation, but also looking ahead, looking to the future, writing about someone to come. And eventually, these Israelite kingdoms deteriorate to a point where they are each taken captive, and most of them are are taken away from their homeland. They become exiles, transplanted in the city of Babylon, which was the world power at that time. And during this exile, God continued to speak to them through the prophets. You see Jeremiah telling them to build homes, plant gardens. But remember, this promise of the Messiah, this time in Babylon, is not a permanent home. Jeremiah also prophesied a restoration after 70 years. So it is after 70 years they're permitted to return and to rebuild And Ezra and Nehemiah show what that looked like. But things weren't like they had been. And a look at history shows what that looked like. Uh, The Greeks taking control of their country and the Romans. But they still had their history. Going back to Adam and Eve and that promise of a future deliverer, a prophet like Moses, and a conqueror like David. This was that Messiah that they longed for, and they were waiting expectantly for, now more than ever. That's when we enter the New Testament, and finally we, we see a new main character. It's a man named Jesus, and there's even four different versions or accounts of his life, what we know as the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each give an account of the life of Jesus. We read about a miraculous birth and groundbreaking teachings, things people never heard before. We see him performing miracles and disciples that he's teaching. There's also traditions that were challenged by Jesus and enemies that were made. And the story is told in a way that makes us ask, who is this Jesus? Could he be the Messiah? 
and many people in his day thought that he was. And he had great crowds following him, and they were coming to see his miracles and hear his teachings. But it seemed that the religious leaders of the time had a different idea of what the Messiah would look like. <clears throat> they were looking for a political deliverer to rescue them from Roman domination. But Jesus came as a spiritual deliverer, and they were unable to see that. So even though he did nothing worthy of death, he was put to death by crucifixion, which was incited by the Jewish leaders and carried out by the Romans. He was buried in a tomb, but three days later he rose from the dead in victory over death. And we see that Jesus died as an innocent man on behalf of the guilty. And in doing so, he provided atonement and deliverance from the bondage of sin to all who would come and believe. And it's a beautiful culmination of all those shadows and pictures from the Old Testament. Jesus was finally the true Messiah, although many people missed it. It ended up being different than they thought. And soon after his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven with the promise that he would return. And here we are today. We're still waiting for that time. No one knows when, but it's going to be when the time is right, just like his first coming. And if we have come to Jesus in faith, believing in his power over death and sin, we are now part of the kingdom of God. And just like the Israelites, we find ourselves living as exiles in a foreign nation. And there's values that contradict God's kingdom and the wisdom that we find from God. But we're looking forward to that second coming of Jesus that he promised and being ready when that time comes. So are we ready for that? Have we placed our trust and allegiance in Jesus the Messiah accepting the gift of salvation that he's offering to each one of us to atone for our failures. So the Bible is a story that leads us to Jesus, and the story of Jesus is a beautiful story. And I have to think, do I see Jesus as I read the Bible? And I know there's, there's many things in the Bible that are hard to understand, but when we come to Jesus, when we can see Jesus through that, we can find deliverance and hope. And there's so many other stories and details that I skimmed over. There's so much uh, prophetic pictures. And I can identify with the writer of Hebrews when he says time would fail to tell of all these other stories. Judah offering his life for his brother Benjamin and the bronze serpent in the wilderness, and uh, the kinsman redeemer in Boaz, so many other things that we can see if we're thinking about the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. So that's the, the challenge that I have as we think about reading the Bible. Let's look for Jesus and remember this mosaic. Sometimes it's hard to see from just an individual story and even sometimes it's hard to fit that into the greater picture. Let's step back and take this bird's eye view 
and look at the greater picture, see how that fits in. So as we read the Bible, let's look for Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the beautiful picture that it gives us of your redemption, your will for us to be free and the deliverance that you have provided. Help us not to be bogged down by reading things that don't make sense, but to look for you in your word. Help us to see things pointing to you. And I pray that your word could come alive to each one of us as we study and as we attempt to live out your wisdom, following your guidance on what is good. Pray for your blessing on each one of us here, and that you would help us in our journey of life, help us to be a blessing to others. As we go from here, as we look ahead to this week, pray for your guidance in everything we do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.